Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. And we are on another week of a series that we are in called Back to John. Um, do not be concerned. Next week, we will be back to Jared. Um, uh, they get, they, yeah, so we're, it's all right. Yeah, 30 minutes is all, all you got to deal with me. So uh, here we go. And uh, man, there's something that's really been in my heart, and I just want to share it. And if it's cool today, I just want to share some stories and just talk to you. Uh, I've been processing what it means to be a person of conviction, like having convictions and, and not just uh, convictions that are things I'm saying no to, but convictions that are actually based off of a yes. Meaning I've said yes to God, and now that there's clarity there that God has asked me to do something, or I've said yes to him in a certain area of my life, any area, now I'm, I'm saying no to some things, not because I just don't want to do those things, but my no was first associated with being a person of conviction and saying yes first. And before we get into it, let's get a good working definition of the word conviction right fast. They're going to throw it up on the screen. And it says, this, or this is the definition we're going to use. Um, a belief you hold in your heart that helps clarify your decisions. One more time. A belief you hold in your heart that helps clarify your decisions. So we are back to John, and we've made it through the first two chapters. And I get to start in chapter 3, verse 1. And here's how it starts out. It starts out with a guy, and his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus um, he's, he's, he's a cool guy, man, to be honest with you. Uh, in his time, he's got clout, he's got influence, he's got money, he's got power, he's got intellect. I'm sure he was handsome, I've never seen him, but I'm saying he's got a lot of things that are working well for him. And Nicodemus is on a council, and the council is called the Pharisees. And the job of the Pharisees in Nicodemus's day were to decide if people were living by God's law or not. And Nicodemus finds himself in a kind of a weird spot, and we're going to check it out. John chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Now, there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was part of the sect called the Pharisees. Um, verse 2. One night, he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. Let's pull a couple things out of this verse, then let's narrow in. Um, this is Nicodemus talking to Jesus, and Nicodemus is a teacher. And then the word rabbi means teacher. So game recognized game. Nicodemus, as a teacher, recognized that Jesus was a teacher. And he says, and here's how I know it, um, because no one can perform the miracle signs that you do unless they were from God, or that, unless God's power was with them, or they were from God. And that's a cool part of that verse. And I want to let you know that God has power that no one else has. And that's not what we're talking on, but it's up there. And I also want you to know that his power will help you carry out your convictions. As a matter of fact, I um, hope this is for somebody. God can actually get you anywhere that he needs to get you from right where you're at right now. Like he's that good. Like the mess, the good times, the junk, the, if you feel buried, if you feel suffocated, any, no matter how you feel right now, God is that good that he can get you anywhere from where you're at right now. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. There's something in this verse that stands out to me. And why is my homie Nicodemus, why is he coming to Jesus at nighttime? And that stood out when I was studying this passage. Because, like, is it because he just got the kids tucked in bed and now he was free to go talk to Jesus? I don't, I don't think so. Is it because uh, he just got off work and he just clocked out? And as soon as he clocked out, it was nighttime, and now he was finally running 
to see Jesus? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think Nicodemus struggled with what I, maybe even you struggle with a lot of times, is that Nicodemus had two convictions going on on the inside of him at the same time. Nicodemus was processing that Jesus might actually be the Messiah, but at the same time he was processing what his Pharisee buddies would do to him if he ever admitted that. He had two convictions working on the inside of him at the same time, something that he knew to be true, but then it was opposed by something that he wanted to do. I've got a couple of those, and maybe they flesh out different for you, but like I know and I want to, and it's important to me to spend time with my kids, but it's sometimes, and it's, I want to, but I'm also sometimes selfish. Like for me, it's important to me that um, I steward my money in such a way to where me and my wife, if God presents a need, that we can help people with their money. But I also want to have a 2,500 acre hunting ranch one day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that might sound unreasonable, but that's what I want. And I find these things conflicting because if I keep trying to help people, God, when am I going to get, or if I keep spending time with kids, when am I going to have time for me? And there's conflicting things going on. And Nicodemus is having a conflicting thing. That's why he comes at nighttime, because he doesn't want his other Pharisee buddies to see him come talk to Jesus, but he also doesn't want to not come talk to Jesus. So he's got conflicting convictions going on. And maybe you've got some conflicting convictions right now. Maybe you're actually here, but earlier today, um, the Tempur-Pedic made you want to not be here. Does that make sense? You had some conflicting convictions. Like, you're excited you're here now that you've got over, you know, the hump of getting awake, your teeth are brushed, you got a shower, you hit two cups of coffee, whatever that looks like. But it would also would have been nice to stay home. And to serve Christ oftentimes means that you've got some conflicting convictions going on on the inside of you. And here's what I want you to know about convictions that outside... Yeah, outside of love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, which is Scripture, and then love your neighbor as yourself, there's some other things that Scripture have asked us to do, but those are the two big umbrellas that all of us should have as convictions. Love God with all our heart. Okay, got that. Love my neighbor as myself. Not easy to do. Don't like to do it, but got that. And these are the two things that every Christ follower should have. But past that, there are some other convictions maybe that you have that maybe your neighbor doesn't have. I was, just the other day, I think it was Wednesday, I was grabbing a, a, a sub sandwich, and I say sandwich slow because my wife says I don't know how to say it, so sandwich, and I was grabbing it, and when I get a sandwich, I keep my eyes on that bad boy. I don't know about you, but like, and it's going, and sometimes your sandwich is moving faster down the line than you are because there's people in front of you. I don't know if you know, anyways, I'm making sure no one's sneezing, everyone's got gloves on, like I'm watching that bad boy, and it's moving, and I got my eyes on it because don't, you know, I don't know, no vegetables, I don't need all that. Anyways, anyway, so they're moving on down, and, and I got my eyes on it, and I wasn't the only one with that conviction. The lady next to me also seemed like she had the same conviction, because there she is, and she's, you know, she's, she's glued on that sandwich, and, uh, and they're making hers, and she's telling them what to do, and she's walking, and her um, sub is moving down the line faster than she can move as well, um, and she's paying so much attention to her sub that she bumps into me. Like, not real hard, but like, too hard. Um, but anyways, she's, you know, she bumps in me. And I don't like have a bubble like this or nothing like that. Like we're good right here. Um, but, uh, you know, I do kind of have a bubble though. You know, you say, like, it's not that big, but it is. And I was like, whoa, what, what did she run into me for? And she ran into me because she wanted to keep up with her sub because she had a conviction that she wanted to watch her sub. And that lady let her conviction lead her to running somebody over. And your personal convictions are your convictions. You should never lead, let them lead you to running somebody else 
over. Love the Lord our God with all the heart. Love thy neighbor as a self. Boom, here we are. And if you've got some past that, right, those are between you and God. It's not our job to be the conviction doctor and write scripts for everybody that doesn't live a life by the personal conviction that God gave us. We are not supposed to run people over with our convictions. I had a friend growing up, and we're not friends anymore um, because his mom was mean. And, uh, and she was mean. And I don't know if you've ever seen this sign in a house, but this sign comes from a book in the Bible. And that book's called Joshua. And Joshua is named after a man that was in the Bible. And that man is famous for saying this. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you can find these signs almost everywhere. And this lady had one, and it was big. I think she had it blown up somehow. It was big, and it was in the living room. And anytime something happened in that house that this lady did not like, she would mean mug you and point at the sign. And she, just like that, and we'd be watching TV, and maybe something that she didn't think should be said across the TV, she would look at her husband, and she would point at the sign. Or if we were acting and we were wrestling and she didn't like it, she would look at us, and then she would just point at the sign, and that never encouraged me to be any better. Not one time was I like, yes, that's exactly right. We are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to stop being a 12-year-old boy all of a sudden. I'm just going to quit. I got the power to do that. No longer am I a preteen. I'm just going to serve the Lord and stop. It never empowered me. And your personal convictions are not given to you for you to run over other people with them. They're given to you so that you could live them out in such a way to where they empower and they encourage other people to where they don't want to change because your nose was in the air or you were looking down on them. They want to change because they saw the impact it had on your life. And then you let the same way that God was gentle with you when he led you into that conviction, you give them the space for that same God to be gentle with them and lead them into that. And what if, oh my goodness, what if they don't need that conviction? Because I need some that you don't need. I need some boundaries to keep Ryan straight that you may not need. I don't know. Maybe you do. And I've got some that you may think are ridiculous. But they keep my marriage strong. They keep my heart pure. You know what I'm saying? They, they keep a little money in my bank because I'm trusting God to make the difference. Like, there's some boundaries I have that keep me on the up and up that you might not need. And not just because you're, not, you're holier than me. Maybe you are. That's super cool. But maybe it's just because you're built different. And that's why we can't be a doctor prescribing our personal convictions on everybody, just throwing them on out. No, no, don't cuss. Oh, no, no, don't drink. Oh, no, 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 no wine for you. No, no, none of this. Other. Those things are between God and people, and we need to leave them between God and people, because when we get in the middle of it, we're pretending like we're God, and then when we get, when we start acting like God, we start losing his help for us. So we need to, thanks, bro. I appreciate you, man. I really do. I didn't know if anybody would chip in, but you were kind of by, thank you so much, man. That means a lot. I'm going to walk over here. I appreciate you. You're my guy. <laughs> but we need to stay out of the middle of that stuff. Right. And I mean that because we don't belong in the middle of it. Because we don't have judging qualifications. Now, you can look at somebody's life and you can make an observation, but the data that you receive when you look at somebody's life should be data that makes you want to go and help, not makes you want to go and point. You go, oh, okay, I, I, I see my homeboy struggling today. Or I see my, hey, sh this, is, this is my girlfriend, and she, she's definitely having a hard day. Oh, that shouldn't make you feel better about your not hard day. That should make you want to get involved and want to help and want to love. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart. Love my neighbor as myself. And I get the conflicting thing to 
fight off this feeling of wanting to feel better than people when you seem to be doing better than people. But if you are really doing better than people, it is the grace of the living God. And if you don't get away from that feeling, you might find that thing sift off a little bit so he can remind you how you are better and why you are better. And I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. You know what I'm saying? As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. We don't have that sign up, um, but we do have that in our house. But it doesn't look like calling out people that don't have the same convictions. It looks like asking God for help to fulfill the ones that we have. God, help me walk out the ones that you gave me and help me to fulfill those. And if I do that right, that will empower and encourage other people. And it doesn't mean that they're going to follow suit and necessarily just do the same thing that you're doing. If I walk uprightly, they're going to stop being like this. And if I do it in front of them, no, no, no. It just means it's going to open up their heart and then maybe God can give them a conviction that he needs to get them to where he's taking them. Because he's taking you somewhere and he's taking them somewhere. And the plays might be different. And it's okay if they are. And it's good if they are. But here's what is consistent. Love the Lord the God with all the heart. All my heart, God, I'm going to endeavor. Even when I miss it, I'm going to love you. Love my neighbor as myself. How can I love my neighbor as myself? How can I love God with all my heart? I can live by the convictions he gives me, and then I can help people in their convictions. That's how I can do it. I can get that done. Yeah. And Nicodemus came by the cover of night. It says that he walked discreetly. I see stuff visually. I see him peeking around corners. You know what I'm saying? Seeing if any of his homeboy or any of the Pharisees, and he sneaked over there, and he heard where Jesus was, and he's kind of, you know, he's like, you know, and he's doing all that stuff, and he gets into Jesus, and he's over there, and Jesus, all-knowing, knows that he was kind of ashamed, knows that he felt a little guilty for talking to him, and that same Jesus that knows that he used the cover of night, that same Jesus that knew that he was hiding to get there, that same Jesus that knew he was ashamed to be there, still had dialogue and conversation with him. Jesus, knowing all of the wrestle that Nicodemus had, was still cool with Nicodemus being in his presence was still cool with chopping it up with Nicodemus, even though Nicodemus was conflicted on the inside. And God, Jesus, was still okay with all of that. Yeah, he was. You know where my convictions sometimes, though, where I wrestle with them? When God asks me to do something, either in scripture or like maybe I'm talking to somebody and they say something and I'm like, oh, that was, that was for me, you know? Maybe in community, maybe in a brick group, maybe in a worship experience and prayer and studying. There's a lot of ways he does it, but here's where like, I'm like, okay, this is going to take some faith because there are times sometimes that God asks you to do something that actually doesn't make sense or he says something to you that doesn't make sense. Check this out, John chapter three. Let's go verse three, guys. Jesus answered to Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can even perceive God's kingdom, they must first experience a rebirth. Now, some translations say they must first be born again. And if you grew up in church or you've been around church, that terminology might not be different to you. Talking about being born again, meaning I'm dying to my old self and now I'm being made alive to God. I've got a different trajectory of my life. Now I've got the help of God. I've been reborn. I've been reset. I've been restarted. Now I'm doing things God's way. But this doesn't make any sense to Nicodemus because as far as we can tell, this is the first time that was ever said. Ever. And you've got Nicodemus who is this scholar, is this intellectual. He is, I mean, he, he, he has it all together. And here's how he responds. Verse four to being born again. Nicodemus said, rebirth how can a gray-haired, gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for anyone to get back into the womb a second time 
and be reborn. And Nicodemus makes a good point, and I'm sure all the mothers like the point that he makes. It's impossible for a mature man to be born out of his mother's wounds again. No mom wants that to happen twice for one kid. You know what I'm saying? Especially when they're not a kid anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't want that stuff to happen. But it's a, it, Nicodemus, it's a good question. He's like, how can I be reborn? Because the only thing I know about being born is that it comes from a mother's womb. Now, you're talking about a, something different. You're talking about something that doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of things in the Bible, to me, that actually kind of don't make sense. It doesn't mean I don't try to activate on them. But if I was honest, they don't, like, make sense. Let's throw one out there. All right. Um, giving. And not that it doesn't make sense to give. I get that, that we should be generous. Matter of fact, we have a core value of the church says that we want to lead the way with a rational generosity. We want to be a generous people. We want to be known by our generosity, for sure. But tithing specifically. And what a tithe is, is that when I take the first 10% of my income and I trust it to God and I give it to the church. And here's what doesn't make sense to me. I know it works. I've seen it play out. But how? Hmm. When I've got 100% of my money, and it might not be a lot, but it's still 100% of my money that I work for. 100%. And then I give God 10. Now I've got, somebody help me. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. 90% of my money. How does God make that 90 go further than I can make the 100? Well, he's God. Well, yeah, I know that. He's all powerful. I get that too. Um, well, he, he can do things that you don't, you can't do. True. I mean, I know all that stuff, but it still doesn't mean that it makes sense to me that God can take the 90 and stretch it and lengthen it and do whatever he does. I don't know. I mean, he just mixes it up and he just starts doing stuff with it. I don't know what God does with that, but I do know that the way he said it would work, it works. Now, I might understand the ingredients behind why it works, but it doesn't make sense, but it still works. And what do we do, though, like trying to be people of conviction when the stuff that God asks us, tells us, doesn't make sense? Since I've got a guy, he goes to church here. He's been here, I'm a little over two years. Super cool. Um, his name was Thomas. And Thomas came to me one day. He's like, listen, man. He's like, I've been believing for a raised work. I really have. I want, I've been believing for a raised work. I was like, man, that's super cool. And we started talking back and forth. And, and just like the coolest way I could at the time, I was like, hey, man, you know, um, this is definitely your business and your wife's business. But you ought to get in the book scripture and find out what it says about tithing. If y'all don't tithe, if you do super cool, I don't want to know that's your business and God's business. But if you don't, you ought to maybe consider that. And he asked me a couple questions and then he finally said, listen, man, I appreciate your answers, but I still don't understand. Like, I just don't understand. And I was like, I'm sorry, bro. I'm just not good at explaining anything, I guess, um, because you don't understand. Um, and, but honestly, I, I don't all the way either. Um, uh, so, uh, but that's where we're at. And then he decides, you know, I'm going to tithe. And he don't tell me that. That's not my business, but he does it. Um, and he goes on doing it. Right? And again, not my business. I don't even know he's doing it. He comes to me one day. Check this out. He comes to me. He says, Ryan, did you know we started tithing back in December? I was like, no, I didn't know that. But that's, that's super cool. I'm excited for you. Not just because you're putting money into the work of God, but I'm excited to you because you're opening up an area of your heart to God that you didn't open up before. Right. And I said, like, big things are going to happen for you. He's like, that's why I was hollering at you. I was like, why are you hollering at me? He said, did you know in the last uh, about 18 months? I was like, wow, 18 months. He's like, yeah. He's like, my income doubled. And I was like, 
bro, I don't know what you're doing different because mine didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been tithing, and I'm looking, and mine did not double for sure. Like, for sure. Um, but I was excited for him. And I was like, man, that's, that's super cool that that happened. I wanted to celebrate him. And I'm not trying to incentivize you to give. That's between you and God. I'm just trying to tell Thomas the story is that he acted on something because he had a conviction. Um, he was convicted by it, but he didn't stop by just being convicted. He became a person of conviction. Shun. See, there's something that you can feel guilty about today, and you might even translate. You might say, oh, man, I'm really, I, this is convicting. But if it's just guilt, it doesn't get the job done. It has to go past that and become a part of who you want to be as a person. That's what conviction is. It brings clarity to the way you make decisions. And then Thomas called me like six months later. He's like, man, I want you to know something. I was like, what do you want me to know? He was like, man, it got hard, and I stopped tithing. I was like, not as excited. I wasn't like, good for you, bro. But I was like, you know, I was like, well, wait, what, what, what happened? Because if you're like me or Thomas, sometimes God could do something big and it just seems like you, we let it wear off. Wow. You know, we just let it wear off a little bit. Um, uh, he's like, yeah, but I decided that it was a conviction of mine. I was like, oh, you did? He's like, so we started again. And he's like, the reason I stopped is because I thought I was going to have to sell my truck. And I'm processing through, you know, all the stuff about, like, how I would feel and everything like that. He was like, but when I started, my company gave me, the next month, my company gave me a vehicle allowance that covered 90% of my truck. And again, I was like, mine didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of that happened for me. But I'm excited about it because here's the deal. He, was, he had moved from just being convicted about, oh, man, somebody said something, hit me in my heartstrings, now I'm going to do something. It moved from just that feeling, and that's, that's where it starts, but it moved from that over here to now he's a person of conviction. And here's what I want you to know is, is that when your conviction, let me say it like this, yeah, when your integrity exceeds your influence, when your integrity exceeds even your intellect, when your integrity goes farther than your clout, when your integrity goes farther than your gift set, when your integrity goes farther than how you are skilled, you have positioned yourself for God to do something amazing in your life. Because scripture says this, he says that when he can trust you with little, he can trust you with much. And the goal of conviction is to be people of integrity. It's not to broadcast the ones that we have or to hold other people accountable by the ones God gave us. It's to ask God for help on how to walk them out for ourselves personally. And here's why I struggle sometimes with conviction. It's real talk. It's okay. Um, I know that I haven't always lived up to ones that I've said I had. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes I feel like I'm damaging the brand a little bit. Uh, for my work, I got some new business cards. And, man, they look good. They're balling, to be honest with you. I look at them, like, boom. Yeah, they kind of come off the page a little bit or something. I think they came off, like, Vista Print, something really nice. But anyways, um, uh, but I got these bad boys. And I was excited about them because uh, people were asking for them, so I wanted to have them. And sure enough, about two days after I got them, this lady's like, hey, do you have a card? I was like, yeah, here, let me, yes, I do. Yeah, let me go grab it. She's like, well, can you just write a price for this job on the back of the card and then put it in my mailbox? And I was like, I, I can, or I, I can just text you a price, or I can just tell you a price right now. She's like, no, 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 no. Write it on the card. And I was like, okay, whatever. So she leaves, and I go, and I grab this beautiful card, and I go to turn it around to write a price on there, and then I'm like, ugh. You know why I went, ugh? Because I write like a three-year-old. And I was like, I've got this beautiful card, and I'm fixing to mess the whole thing up. Because your boy still don't know how to write. <laughs> and I turn it over, and I ride on it, and I turn it in. And I was like, ugh. 
You know, because I feel like I almost damaged the symbol by putting my hand to it. And that's how I feel sometimes when it comes to serving Jesus. I feel like I almost damaged the symbol by putting my hand to it. But Jesus actually is more than a symbol. Jesus is a God that became man and it still is God. And in his plan for your life, for you to be a person of conviction, there are contingencies for the times that he knew that you would mess up and you would miss it, and he's completely okay with it. When you draw a line in the sand and you say, you know what, not for anybody else, but because God has asked me to, or because I'm led to do it, I'm not going to do this anymore, or I'm going to live my life this way and name whatever you're, anything under the sun is what you're taking a stance against or what you're saying, you know what, because of God. Because of a yes to him, I'm saying no to this. And you draw a line in the sand. And the next thing you know, you do that on Sunday, and it's Thursday, and here you are, and you've already crossed the line. And the reason I feel like myself personally and maybe some other people aren't people of conviction is because they've crossed the line too many times in private, and they don't want them to see them cross the line in public, and they don't want to see what happens when you're on the other side of the line. Hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then boom, you know, I'm going to steward my money, and in 30 days, I max the credit card out again. You know, I'm going to be better at my family, and then, oh, they, they, and I, they, they hurt, oh, I said a cuss word, or I'm going to draw my, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do better by people, and then I was cranky again. Hey, you know what? God is leading me to do some different things, and I just turn my back on him, and I draw a line, and I cross it, and I draw a line, and I cross it, and I draw a line, and I cross it, and I feel like sometimes I'm damaging the brand, and there's a scripture that I really like, man, I really do, um, it's in Psalms 91, on this chapter, and it really sets something up that's huge. It talks about how God is our refuge and our fortress. And I see things visually. So when I hear that, like I see this big like Lord of the Rings castle and that I'm in it and that God is like everything around it and then nobody can get to me. And it goes on to say that a thousand of your foes could come against your right and another thousand against, or 10,000 against your left and none of them can get to you because of God. A thousand over here, 10,000 over here, none of them can get to me because of God. Feels really good. He said plagues could be released in your camping site and none of them can even get in your tent. And I'm like, that sounds pretty cool too. Not the plagues part, but they can't get to me. Pretty awesome. Then he goes on, man, he's kind of flexing a little bit. He says, he'll send angels from heaven out and they'll pick me up in their hands so that I don't even trip my toe against a rock. I'm like, this is awesome, man. This is awesome. And he's about to end this bad boy. And I'm thinking this is going to end in a big way, but he crosses me a little bit in a good way. He says, and then when you're in trouble, and I'm thinking, He's going to send the angels again, or he's going to put me in that castle thing, or he's going to build a moat and keep trouble on the outside. I, I just don't know what's going to happen, but I'm visually thinking about all the things this God that's doing a heavy flex in the other verses in Psalms 91. What's he going to do? And he says, but when you're in trouble, and I'm like, here it comes. He's going to drop a bomb. He's going to do something. He says, I will be with you in that trouble. Like, you're, not going, you're not going to pick me up and fly me out of there or something like that so my foot doesn't hit you're not going to put me in a tent and the plagues just kind of go, but not towards me? I'm going to drop 10,000 and then 1,000 and all these things. You're not my refuge. What's going on? You're not going to hide me in the shadow of your wing? What are you going to do? No, he said, I'm, when you're in trouble, I'm going to be with you in that trouble. This perfect, come on now, this holy, this sinless God says that when you cross the line, I'm going to And when you come to me in the cover of night because you've got some conflicting convictions on the inside of you, I'm going to sinless, holy. 
man, how do holy hands touch that mess? And just pull us back. And here's what I want you to know. Is that as much as I want to continue to experience the grace of God that comes from the highlights of life, there is a part of Jesus that you only get to see when you haven't lived up to your convictions in the mercy you feel in the grace and the love, in the strength that you feel. Paul says it like this. Paul was a writer in the Bible, and he says, I want to know him in, in the high points of life. Remember, he said, I want to know him in, the, in his resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul said, I want to know all the good things about how he came up. And I'm like, me too, Paul. He says, but I also want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him in the good and in the bad. And if you don't step out and be a person of conviction... And then, by your human nature, going to miss it. And I'm not trying to speak that over you. That's the way we're built. You won't get to see the whole picture of who Jesus is. And not just you need to see him cross that line and pick you up, but the people that see you miss it, they need to see the side of a God that builds you back up, and now you've got strength to go out. And you might start sounding a little different. As a matter of fact, you know, you actually sound different sometimes before you look different. It's, it's the truth. The other night, 2.30 a.m., I'm in bed, and I wake up just all of a sudden at 2.30, which isn't normal. And I wake up, and I hear a woman's voice in my house. And I looked over, my wife was right there. She was sound asleep. And I was alarmed. And I jumped up out of bed. And I've got this, I don't know, I've got this thing in my head. Like, I did like a full house sweep. I already knew what room I was going to first. Like, you know, I had the whole thing planned out. In case there was ever, like, a home invasion, your boy was ready. So anyways, um, I, I, ran, I, checked every, I checked every room. Like, it's 2.30. What lady's in my house? You know, and I don't know what she was stealing. I don't know if she was stealing my wife's dishes. I don't know what she's stealing. I don't care. She, I, she probably didn't want my guns. I'm not for sure, but she was there, and I knew it. It was 2.30 in the morning. I was, uh, I, mean, I was on high alert, and I checked every room. I checked the bathrooms. I do a second sweep, and I can't find anybody. I'm set down. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. What is going on? I sat down on my bed. I'm too adrenaline rushed to fall back asleep, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying. And then right when I'm thinking, okay, I'll lay back down, Ryan. You are crazy. I hear the voice again, and I'm like, no, she's the best hider in the world. This is my house, and I can't find her. And I do another sweep, and I'm kind of exhausted, and I was doing a sweep and I like had a, a I don't know being was I, I was and I didn't go by myself this time like I had a little I don't know I had this little toy thing and I don't know I picked the toy up it was my kid's toy and that was gonna help me with that lady <laughs> anyway, so I got this toy and I'm just going room to room with this toy and I sat back down and I'm like I give up I don't know what's going on and I lay down to finally fall asleep and I hear it another time and I go in my daughter's room and I found out something about my daughter that I didn't know I knew that she talked in her sleep but I didn't know that she talked in her sleep in someone else's voice I had no idea. I never even heard her sound like that. Next morning, I talked to my wife. I was like, you know, Caden, she talks to her in sleep. She, yeah, I told you. I said, no, I know. No, no. I was like, Do you, but, she, um, but she uses someone else's voice to talk in her sleep. Like, I didn't know what was going on. If I needed some water and a cross, I just wasn't, I didn't know what was going on. Like, I just knew I didn't like it. And my wife's like, yeah, yeah, every time she talks in her sleep, it's in a different voice. And I was like, I, I, I had no idea. And I didn't, she, she slept through the whole thing or whatever like that. You know, but, you know, there's a chance that when you become a person of conviction, you might sound different before you look different because it still looked like my daughter. And when you sound different, it might put the people around you on high alert, and they might start paying a little bit more attention to the way you live just because you sound different. And if you're going to be a person of conviction, you've got to be ready for that because it doesn't mean you won't fall, but those people around you, they are looking to see if you will eventually look like you sound. 
They're waiting to see if, if the actions are going to catch up with the proclamations. They're waiting to see if the behavior, and I don't mean like you're just always squeaky clean, but if you endeavor to be a person of conviction, change will follow that. Change will follow that. I don't always like the way that God leads me in conviction sometimes. Because for me, like I'll get that, because sometimes it makes me sad. And I'm just being real with you. Like it, sometimes it makes me sad. Like um, not because I don't trust God, but there's some things sometimes that I'm not sad at God, but I'm sad that he's asking me to say bye to something. You know? I mean, I, I am because whether it be an organization or a thing that I'm doing in my life or a dream that I had, I just don't like saying bye to stuff. I just don't like doing it. It makes me sorrowful and it makes me sad. And you know what? That's okay. And 2 Corinthians proves that. Let's throw it on the screen, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Ooh, this talks about two different kinds of sads. It says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, God knew that being a person of conviction would make you sad sometimes because you would have to say some byes and some things. But that repentance, that change of mind, that change of direction, he says, it does not leave you with regret. He said, and it leads to salvation. And this word salvation does not just mean the eternal salvation of your soul. It means that God is trying to lead you from something and he's saving you from the thing that he's leading you from. He's endeavoring to save you. And a person of conviction, and again, not your grandma's conviction, not your mom's conviction, not your friend's conviction, but the one that God has given you because it's the one that you need to get where he's trying to get you to. That conviction, even when it's sorrowful, when you look back after the steps you've taken, there will be no regret. No regret. In the church I grew up in, we had altars. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term or even what that is, but um, what an altar was is like a, a bench that we would have on both sides of the stage and had a pad on the bench. And it was a place where you could go and try to connect with God and you go down there and you could kneel or spend time with him after a church experience or before it. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons why you would maybe go to an altar, but we had, we had those altars up there. And I remember one time when God was dealing with me about being a person of conviction and I was sad, I was sorrowful. And it wasn't that I was sad and sorrowful because I was leaving something behind. You know, I was sad and sorrowful because I was going to have to buck up and be honest about some decisions I was making because they were opposing my convictions and I was going to have to apologize. I was going to have to tell some people some things that were going on internally in me and I was going to have to make some things right. In order to stay that person of conviction, I was going to have to do that. And that got me to the altar because I was sad and I was crying when I was down there. And I was praying and I I guess that's how I pray. And I was tucked in like this and I was down there kneeled on that altar and uh, everyone had left, I thought, and I was like, okay, so God, it's just you and me. So I'm saying some things out loud that or my business. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, God. And I was over there and I was praying and it had to be for a little bit. And there's a guy that came alongside of me and I didn't know he was still in the room and I was at the altar and he put his hand on my shoulder like that. And it felt warm to be honest with you because I was over there and I was in an emotional state and I don't think that we should always allow our emotions to lead us. That's not what I'm saying, but we have them and sometimes God uses them. And I was in a spot of brokenness because I was not living out the convictions that I said that I had. And I wrote it down. It's really simple what this guy said, and it's not going to wow you, but it gave me something. His name was Dennis. Dennis put his arm on me, and he said this. He said, God, whatever he is deciding to do, 
Help him do it. And I was like, exactly. Because God, I can't do it without your help. And then Dennis was an older gentleman. And he had nowhere to go. He like put his arm in like 30 minutes. I was done praying, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I was hungry. I'd already made my mind up. And there was Dennis just sitting right there. I was like, he didn't say nothing else either. Like his hand got heavy. But he was, he was just sitting right there on my shoulder the whole time. Whatever he's deciding to do, help him do it. And today, man, that's my prayer for you. Is that if there's an area of your life where you want to be a person of conviction based on a yes, based on the love of God, based on the direction of the God, based on something that without a doubt God is putting his finger on and telling you this is the way you're supposed to live. Whatever that thing is, my prayer is that God would help you do it because you need his help to get it done. You need his help to get it done. So whatever that is today, recognize a couple things. One is, like it's yours, and he gave it to you for you. But when he gave you that conviction, he didn't leave you there. He's still with you, even when you came under the cover of night, even when you came when you had conflicting views, even when you came and you weren't sure, you still came to him. And when you came to him conflicted, when you came to him beat up, when you came to him broken, when you came to him confused, when you came to him not sure, when you came to him with questions, when you came to him not knowing, when you came to him with no answers, he was still there with you. And he was good with all of the things that maybe have made you turn your back on Jesus because you didn't know how he felt about him. I'm telling you, today, not only is he good with it, but he is, he's down. Like, let's do this thing. He wants to work these things out with you. He is that Good. He wants to help develop in you a person of conviction to where your integrity goes further than anything else going on in your life so that when he trusts you with little, he can trust you with much. That's what he wants for you and for us. We're fixing to pray. But what I'm going to pray for you is that it moves from you just being convicted to being a person of conviction. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for everybody in the room. Lord, that we would be people of conviction. Lord, we need your help to do so. Lord, just like, <laughs> Dennis, I'm asking you just put your arm on us in anything that we feel you're leading us to decide to do adjustments, changes, ways we can help, ways we can grow, ways we can disciple, ways we can develop, ways we can love, whatever it is, Lord. We're asking for your help to do so. And we thank you for it. Lastly, if you are in here, we're in John 3. And we didn't make it far enough in John 3 for me to share something that is, man, it's really changed the world. And it's in John 3. You'd have to fast forward a few verses, but you land in verse 16. And it's a truth that a lot of people have heard. Maybe not everybody, but maybe even if you're not around church, you've heard this truth. John 3, 16 says that for God had a conviction. Yeah, he did. It was that he loved the world so much that he gave his son so that anyone that would believe on him would have everlasting life. And that's what we want for you today. If you've never called on Jesus as the Lord of your life, that's the first conviction to start with. And if that's you in this room, in just a moment, we want to ask you to raise your hand and meet me eye to eye. When you meet me eye to eye, you're signifying that you believe that in your heart. And as a church, we want to celebrate you. Like it's a big deal around here. So what we do is we're going to all pray a prayer together. And as a church, we're going to clap. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be a big deal. And we're going to support you. And we're all going to pray it out loud. But if you're the person that has raised your hand, we're just going to ask you to pray that prayer from your heart and watch God show up in ways only he can show up. So right now in this moment, that is you. And it's your time to find out that John 3:16 is real, that God did give his son for you. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. Would you just raise your hand up and meet me eye to eye? 
Yes, sir, I see this hand right up here. Welcome to the family, God. Anyone else? Today is your day. Yeah, right now is your time. Just one more moment. All right, church, let's do what we do best. Let's come alongside, support, love, and celebrate that one that raised their hand. How's we're going to do it? We're going to say a prayer, and we're going to say it together. Let's say this thing. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.